This is Gordon Verning with Jazz Insights. We're going to be continuing with the music of Sonny Rollins, and it's appropriate because he recently celebrated his 79th birthday. We're going to concentrate on one particular year in his life, and that's the year 1957. That's, goodness, that's over 50 years ago. 1956 and 57 were probably the busiest years in his life in terms of the amount of great material that he recorded. But 1957, he really comes into his own as a band leader and records with a number of different groups. But you have to remember back in the 50s, all the musicians who were part of this heavy hard bop or straight ahead jazz movement were all good friends and they would play on each other's records and sometimes someone would be in the studio and they'd ask them to come in and play. So it was a, it was a real nice fraternity very uh, with a great deal of camaraderie. The first record we want to look at was from, I think, early spring of 1957, and the record is called Way Out West. The record is interesting because it features the great bassist, Ray Brown, and another wonderful drummer by the name of Shelly Mann, who was originally from the East Coast. Both of them are East Coasters who are living out in the West Coast. This is one of the first times that Sonny recorded without a piano. So it was unusual, although Chet Baker and Jerry Mulligan had done it about five or six years before. Um, Sonny really liked playing without a cording instrument because it gave him way more freedom. We've been listening to I'm an Old Cow Hand, but two of the most memorable tracks on this record are Come Gone and Way Out West. We'll start with Come Gone. Again, it's a trio. There's no piano cording instrument, and Sonny liked that. It gave him more freedom. He could really stretch out, and his um, incredible sense of elastic rhythm is really apparent on this. So let's listen to Come Gone from Way Out West, early 1957. little-known fact about this recording was that it was made very, very late at night. Um, the three musicians, um, Sonny, Shelley, and Ray, had all previously that evening played gigs with other bands, and they met really, really late at night, or I guess early in the morning, when they were all warmed up and ready to play with a minimal amount of rehearsal and laid these tracks down. Of course, you know, Shelley and Ray were, are great musicians um, you know, with, with great reputations. The next track we're going to listen to is called Way Out West, which has a kind of a loping cowboy quality to it that really does sound more cowboy-ish, if there is such a term. It's not free jazz. I mean, you know, Sonny is really playing the, the, over the harmony, but it's so loose 
and it's so enjoyable to listen to him. And you can really follow him. He's not getting any prompts from any kind of chording instrument. All he's doing is listen to that drummer and that bass player. So the next one is going to be Wear West. That Sonny Rollins sound um, and articulation and the space that he leaves between his phrases and that pervasive thematic um, improvisational style that has really become one of his trademarks is, is very apparent on this record. And it was a very popular record recorded in Los Angeles, which, you know, in the 50s was Los Angeles jazz was known as cooler West Coast. And this is not West Coast jazz or cool jazz. This is just great music with wonderful communication between these three giants of jazz from this period. In April of that year, back in New York, Sonny Rollins was recording for the Blue Note label, which is a classic East Coast hard bop label, and some of the greatest jazz musicians of the 50s and 60s recorded on Blue Note, and Sonny was signed to a contract. He recorded a record, and it was called Sonny Rollins Volume 2. It's a very interesting record because it features J.J. Johnson on a trombone, Paul Chambers, who was Miles Davis's bass player, Art Blakey, who was a leader of the Jazz Messengers, and Horace Silver, who was part of the original Messengers and had his own group at that time, and Thelonious Monk, who um, was very good friends with uh, Sonny Rollins, and Sonny spent a lot of time with him previous to 1957, so they were good friends. In fact, from what I understand, Thelonious just happened to be in the studio. And what's really interesting about this record is that Monk plays two tracks on the record. He plays with Sonny on Reflections and on, on Mysterioso. There are two pianists. Monk accompanies uh, Sonny Rollins, but when J.J. Johnson plays, Horace Silver sits down at the piano. So this is kind of unusual for 1957 to have two separate pianists on the same track. 
Let's start with Reflections, a felonious monk composition from the record Sonny Rollins, Volume 2. So if you listen to the entire track of Mysterioso, you can hear, starting with um, Thelonious Monk on piano, about halfway through, Horace Silver sits down and plays a piano solo, and there's a, there's a pretty big difference between the two pianists. Um, they're both great players, wonderful composers, and important band leaders in their own right with very different styles great record and of course there's many other tracks on the record that are, that are very very good but those two are probably the most interesting on the record um, Sonny Rollins volume 2 in late fall of 1957 Sonny recorded I believe his first live album Sonny um, had always expressed some trepidation about recording in the studio and, and Sonny Rollins aficionados have always stated that his best performances were not recorded he played best live and he always felt some sense of tension in a recording studio. So uh, Blue Note Records um, decided um, with, uh, I believe, Max Gordon at the Village Vanguard to record Sonny Rollins in a live situation. 
the recordings that were released came from one particular day. He did an afternoon session and an evening session, and he used two um, different rhythm sections. This time, he was still experimenting with a pianoless group, so it was just saxophone, sounding on tenor, a bass player, and a drummer. He preferred one particular group over another. In the afternoon session, he used Pete LaRocca on drums and Don Bailey on bass. And then later that evening, I guess he wasn't happy with them or felt that he needed a, a different group. He hired um, drummer Elvin Jones and the bassist Wilberware. And most of the recordings that come from that session that were initially released were with the second group, although Night in Tunisia does feature Pete LaRocca. We're going to listen to one track from this um, very important record. And that's one of his original compositions, which has become a jazz standard. It's a, um, a riff-type blues called Sunny Moon for Two, and this really captures him at his best in a live situation. You can hear the, the live ambience in the background. So enjoy Sunny Moon for Two. This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. Visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com. Jazz Insights is produced by WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta, Georgia.